0: We're going to read the word of the Lord now. Um, The first reading is from Micah 4, and can be found on page 657 of your Bibles. Micah 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame a remnant, "'Those driven away a strong nation. "'The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion "'from that day and forever. "'As for you, O watchtower of the flock, "'O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, "'the former dominion will be restored to you. "'Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. "'Why do you now cry aloud, "'Have you no king? "'Has your counsellor perished? "'That pain seizes you like that of a woman in labour? Writhe in agony, O daughter of Zion.' like a woman in labour, for now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon, there you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you, out of the hand of your enemies. But now many nations are gathered against you. They say, let her be defiled, let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. He who gathers them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will give you horns of iron, I will give you hooves of bronze, and you will break to pieces many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth.
1: The second reading is from the book of John, starting at chapter 1 verse 29 through to 51 and that can be found on page 750 of your Bibles. So, John 1 starting at verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain on is he who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? "'Can anything good come from there?' Nathanael asked. "'Come and see,' said Philip. "'When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, "'Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false.' "'How do you know me?' Nathanael asked. And "'Jesus answered, "'I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you.' "'Then Nathanael declared, "'Rabbi, you are the Son of God.' You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Uh,
2: If you're tempted to close your Bibles, can I encourage you to reopen it back to Micah, our reading from Micah chapter 4 that Brad brought to us. Uh, If you're new visiting amongst us, we're looking at the book of Micah. Micah's name means uh, who is like the Lord. Uh, We're being reminded that there is none like the Lord. He is so different. The refreshment of seeing the Lord and his passion for divine justice, that he is dissatisfied with the way this world is and he's actually going to do something about it. Uh, And so we're in Micah, chapter 4, we're 700 years before Jesus turned up, the menace of Assyria is kind of looming above us, uh, but God has a good word for us this morning, God has a very good word. Before I pray, let me also, um, another bit of news that I forgot before, Uh, Evangeline Rose Brown was born yesterday, so uh, Amy and Rory uh, welcomed um, Evie, they're going to call her, Uh, yesterday morning she weighed in at well over 10 pounds, so um, she... Came into the world in a big way. Uh, But we are thankful for her safe arrival. Uh, Let me pray, give thanks for that, but uh, also pray that God might speak to us this morning. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you're a gracious and generous God. Uh, We thank you for the gifts you give and the gifts you give to our community, like the gift of Evie. Uh, Father, we do pray uh, that she would be uh, healthy, but even more spiritually healthy and know her great welcome into our church family and your kingdom. Uh, and Father, we thank you uh, for who you are, for your great passion for justice, that there is none like you. Uh, we thank you that you are dissatisfied with this world and will do something about it. And Father, as we glimpse again uh, what your word has to say, we pray that you would stir in us uh, the same dissatisfaction that we would actually like and long to be more and more like you in every way. Uh, Father, speak to us by your spirit today, we pray. Amen. Uh, Just moments ago, we we read from Micah. Uh, We read Micah's words of commitment. Uh, If you look at 4 verse 5, All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. It may not be our exact words, uh, but the sentiment feels fairly modern, doesn't it? Micah lives in this era of uh, pick-and-mix idolatry. That is, there are more gods in Micah's time than there are nations. Uh, but he and a, a faithful few are sticking at following the Lord. You know, his words uh, carry that sense that walking in the Lord's name uh, is actually swimming against the tide. It's, it's breaking against popular culture. And that feels modern, doesn't it? You know, it's not just that we now live in a, a pluralistic society with lots of different religions. Uh, a bloke told me how his wife uh, left her previous job because it really had become an idol for her. Uh, she was regularly home at 1, one in the morning uh, and then sleep and then back at the office around 8, uh, day after day, and it consumed her time and her thoughts and her energy. And he thought, I thought, what, what kind of God could ask for more faithful a servant walking in their name than that? Now, Not to mention uh, the wholehearted devotion that people around us give to, to seeking pleasure. Uh, or, or that complete trust given by so many to technology and innovation and humanity's power to achieve. And you know, our nation walks in the name of various gods. And yet most of us here today choose to walk in the name of the Lord. Yeah, and when that's hard, what keeps you going? You know, today as you woke up, you know, it was a chilly morning, you know, what made you decide again, yeah, I'm going to walk in God's name again today? In the opening three chapters of Micah, what we've seen of God is he's got this unique commitment, this unique passion to destroy idolatry and injustice and poor leadership, the things that destroy us. And in the midst of um, impending doom, because that's what Micah is facing and the people he's speaking to is facing, Micah commits, I'm going to walk in God's name, we will walk in the name of the Lord. Yeah, and, and what it is that keeps him going is the same thing that will keep us going when our walk starts to wander a little. Uh, one big point I want us to see from Micah 4 this morning. Uh, divine justice guarantees a great future. You know, divine justice guarantees a great future. Now, the vision that we're given in Micah 4, um, in lots of ways it's reversing what has happened in the first three chapters. So chapter 3, 3 verse 12, finished right at the end there with... A promise that Zion, God's holy mountain where his temple was in Jerusalem, it would be reduced to rubble, thickets would grow over it, it's this sign of it will be completely abandoned. But then verse 4, verse 1, And in the last days, Zion will be exalted. It's reversal. Um, in, back in chapter 3, you might remember last week, God had promised to hide his face from those who called out but had consistently disobeyed him. And in 4 verse 2, God is present again. You know, the lies of the false prophets will actually be turned around to God teaching. You know, the bloodshed of corrupt leaders that we got in previous chapters is going to be replaced by, by peace in 4 verse 3. That is, Michael wants to paint a picture of the future. He wants to paint a picture to excite your imagination. To get you excited about what God will bring about. Because hope, hope is what keeps people walking in the Lord's name. Let's see the picture that he paints. God says that the future is secure. 4 verse 1, his home will be established over the mountains. Uh, The idea there is it's going to be raised chief up high. Um, The height is an intentional put down. Idolatry in those days, people used to set up sacred places above hills. You know, the higher you were, the more sacred it was. Uh, The idea is here, though, God's future, this secure future, uh, is, is above, unassailably above every other place. Nothing can reach it. And God says not only is the future secure, God says the future is attractive. Uh, at the end of verse 1, the start of verse 2, you see people starting to stream towards it. Uh, the language of stream is, is intentional. You, know, you kind of think it's this up high river and people are streaming up the river towards it. You know, normally it flows the other way. This is, this is unexpected. But so magnetic is the Lord, so magnetic is his way, so attractive are his ways that the usual pattern of creation is overturned. Normally people kind of want to ignore God, but no, no, here these unwashed masses who've been spending ages ignoring God are actually attracted from every background. They will come and and they will, in verse 2, be inviting others. Come with me. Let's go and seek the Lord. It is attractive. And God says the future is relational. God's word will go out in two Verse 2, and people will hunger for it. You know, they will long to walk in his ways. They will just see how great it is to be like him. They will want to imitate him. You know, people who were once without God and without hope in this world will hear his voice and it will bring them joy and it will be a delight. You know, the future is relation. And the future, God says, God says the future is peace. In 4 verse 3, if you flick over the page. Uh, he will judge and settle disputes. You know, once and for all, God will put the things of this world right. Uh, he, the mention there is he, he will do it over strong nations far and wide. We would call them superpowers. Even over superpowers, God will establish peace. You know, swords and spears, the, um, the, the machinery of war, will get converted into agricultural implements. I don't really know what to do with a ploughshare, but, you know, it's useful, uh, as machinery in time of peace. That's the idea. Violence will be just this forgotten relic uh, as people don't need to train anymore because there is no fear anymore. It is a future of peace. And God says the future is prosperity. Uh, 4 verse 4, Each man will sit under his fig tree uh, the image of sitting under your fig tree wasn't just a, a Jewish image, the Egyptians, the Assyrians. It was kind of the common, common image that life is going well, that you've kind of hit the peak, that uh, you're enjoying everything. You know, the idea is that you've got this carefree, self-sufficient enjoyment. You know, you sit there in the heat of the day and you've got your, your fig tree vine just kind of over you. It's giving you shade. You can reach out and grab a sweet fig every now and then and just kind of enjoy life. And you do it without a fear that someone is going to come and suddenly attack and ruin the moment. You know, the future, God says, is prosperity. And God says the future is certain. At the end of verse 4, it will happen because the God who cannot lie, the Lord Almighty, the God who made with a word the heavens and the earth, that God has spoken. And so the future is certain. And God says the future is generous there is room in his future for the weak and rejected so in the first four verses um, Micah's countrymen wouldn't have yet found comfort it's all about these nations these other people coming in and the opening three chapters were about destruction coming on them and so so far Zion's been restored for everyone's benefit except theirs and they would have been wondering what hope is there as failed and condemned people well, verse 6 answers it. He guarantees, actually, there's this great future even for cast-offs. Verse 6, in that day, in that day, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles. That is, I'll gather, the lame. I'll gather those who in chapter 3 who have been abused by corrupt leaders. And I'll gather those, this, this nation... Uh, who in previous visions would be cast off by God himself, they will be brought back. I'll bring them back. I'll restore them. In verse 7, these weak exiles will be made into a strong nation. Now, to put it another way, God's uh, rejection is passing, but his acceptance is forever. At the end of verse 7, God will rule them forever. That day and Forever. Yeah, and God says the future is glorious. Uh, in verse 8, uh, the, the glory days of days gone by. You know, the, the, Harking back to when King David and King Solomon ruled Israel and, and all the world kind of envied and wished, gee, I wish I was an Israelite because they've got a good... You know, those glory days will actually be restored. Yeah, and while the path to glory is suffering in verse 10, he compares it to labour pains. And you know, just like labour is a great pain, there is a real reward at the end of it. And verse 10 would have come as a genuine shock, um, the, the pain that they're going to get. The pain is not from Assyria, but out of nowhere they're going to be sent from Babylon. Uh, this is a, a kind of word of prophecy in advance. Micah is preaching a century before Babylon even became a significant power. It's like saying, you know, Australia, watch out, uh, New Zealand is coming. You, know, you go, really? Do we have to really be worried about them, like in anything beyond rugby? Uh, but no, no, the sense here is this is a prophetic word of pain will come, but that's all right. Glory is on the other side of pain. And God says his future will be triumph. Uh, the, the last few verses from 11 to 13, he outlines a, a final victory, uh, a victory that the weak and rejected will be part of. You know, The nations in verse 11 will line up and they will gloat Uh, over Zion's suffering but they don't know in verse 12 what God has in store they don't know God's plan so God's plan in verse 13 is I'll take despised rejected people and I'm going to use them to crush the enemies I'm going to transform them into greatness now this is a a great future that God is holding out to people To people even like you and me you know this is great news because it's all about his power not ours he can take and transform the lame and the weak and the outcasts and the rejected you know God's God's welcome of the nations is great news for people like you and me without a pedigree you know without a kind of good Jewish lineage that goes back anywhere no no we're welcome Uh, even better God's God's faithfulness to faithless Jewish people there is wonderful news for faithless people like you and me A man who was new to faith shared with me how, after becoming a Christian, he actually felt uh, worse in many respects. Now, he felt a lot guiltier than he had before because he was kind of aware of things differently. We, we chatted about it, and you know, one of the things he stopped comparing against just people beside him, he was starting comparing against God's standards. So he actually wasn't feeling, in one sense, better. He actually said he, he felt, uh, you know, sitting in church at points, he didn't really belong. When the reality is he is exactly the person who belongs. He is exactly the person God chooses. God doesn't build this great future, his kingdom, from smug and self-reliant and pious people. He takes cast-offs and he makes them strong in his power. You now, isn't that great news for, for us who want to walk in the Lord's name but so often fail? I was reminded recently of the boring nature of sin the boring nature of sin, that rather than kind of me sinning creatively each time, um, I sin in a fairly well-worn rut. You know, I just kind of sin in the same old, same old ways. Um, the Puritans call it besetting sins, our besetting sins. That is, you know, one person has a particular you know, fondness for gossip, And they just love to kind of, you know, share news that really they shouldn't. Uh, Whereas another person's kind of gossip, I couldn't care less, but coveting, that's where it's at. I really long to have, you know, my neighbour's house, job, whatever. Whereas other people, no, no, that's not the issue at all. In fact, I'm quietly fostering pride because I don't have a problem with gossip or coveting. Uh, And so I'm just kind of smoothly in my groove of pride. And I just, you know, rather than mix our sins around, rather than being kind of creative with our sin, we just go back to the same old besetting sins that we're inclined to do. We are repeat failures and God's restoration of rejected Israel is just great news for a boring sinner like you now Micah is showing to people who want to walk in the name of the Lord in, in times that are against it, he is showing them the future so they'll keep walking that way, he is showing them this great guaranteed future yeah, and it's something you know we hear. You know, multiple thousands of years later, we we've seen and experienced it in part. You know, the the promised exile in in verse ten of off to Babylon. That's that's been, that's gone. You know, the, the blessings have started for for all nations. We read it in John one. Uh, Jesus went and told Nathanael, "I saw you under the fig tree." That is, I saw you in this time of blessing. I have come, and he goes, "You're the Christ. You're the one bringing it." Yeah, and. In Christ, the blessings for all believers are sampled. Just sampled a little. Now, the nations are flooding to the Lord now. In John 12, we read how the world came to seek Jesus out. Yeah, and there are followers of Christ in every nation in the globe. It's what uh, Steph, you can go and grab her globe later on, it's what Steph taught our kids earlier this morning, wasn't it? You know, that uh, there's Molly in Hong Kong and there are Alaskans leaping on their snowmobiles to get to church and there are South Africans with significantly more rhythm than me dancing and singing in church services and, and, and there are house churches in Vietnam because God is gathering people from every background. You know, I shared a few weeks ago the, the great things that are happening in North India uh, people becoming disciples of Christ, churches being planted. Uh, that that story that was passed on to me by a guy who heads a, a church planting movement of a, a Hindu priest um, who threw open the the, the doors to the temple to fit a church in in North India because he was intrigued by this Jesus. You know the, the great future has begun, and yet there is so much more to come. There is so much more to come. You know, that picture isn't complete yet. We haven't experienced it in full yet. With this sense, though, of divine justice, the Lord will one day give us a full, complete, intimate knowledge of him. With that sense of divine justice, he will take us to a place of peace where really war will be forgotten. It'll just be a relic. You know, we will go to a place where we delight under our own fig tree, so to speak. You know, with that satisfaction of prosperity and enjoyment That's the great future that God will bring about. Uh, Until that day, what should we do? Two things, we should talk and walk. We should talk and walk. Uh, First, we need to talk. So God guarantees this is a a great future for all nations. Uh, One sure cure from wandering away from the Lord is do what Micah does, that is talk about it. Yeah, it's what the nations are doing in verse 1 and 2. They're kind of inviting other people, yeah, come and see what God is doing. Come and join me in this. Uh, let the future uh, fill your mind. Let it shape your hope. Let it fill your conversation. Uh, in our Connect group, uh, we've had this really helpful discussion about heaven recently. Uh, particularly, we've, we've shared a little bit honestly about um, how many of us have a weak and uninspiring view of what eternity will look like. Now, people shared how for for, uh, them and for for many of us, we're kind of glad we won't face the wrath of God, but not much more. You know, that our view of the future is just basically, well, I'm I'm avoiding a negative, I'm dodging a bullet. But Micah is wanting to help people, he wants to talk about it so that those who walk in the name of the Lord aren't just thinking, oh, great, I've dodged a bullet, but actually they're they're looking forward to a blessing that's yet to be savoured. They're actually excited about where eternity might take them. You know, so as a group in our connect group, we're trying to talk a little more about the greatness of our future in Christ. I'm going to read a little about heaven and discuss it. J.C. Ryle put it, There are positive things told us about the glory yet to come upon the heirs of God which ought not be kept back. There are many sweet, pleasant, unspeakable comforts in their future inheritance which all true Christians would do well to consider. There are cordials for fainting pilgrims in many words and expressions of scripture which you and I ought to lay up against time of need. Heaven is becoming every year more full of those you love and the earth more empty. Glory in your inheritance. It is all yours by faith. If you are a son of God, it shall soon be yours in possession. God has a great future for those in Christ. Let's talk about it with each other. And secondly, we need to walk. 4 verse 5, that, that key verse, all the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. How we all walk, it's just whose name we walk in. You know, we must not walk in the name of false gods. You know, Micah's vision of hope is also a promise of judgment. You know, Because he is telling... Um, the peers, his peers, that this is the glory at the end of the days. It's a glimpse of what their idolatry and injustice is seeing them missed out on. Yeah, and the previous chapters should still fill them with fear. And and Micah four is here to make their heart ache about what they're missing out on, about this unfulfilled hope. Yeah, and and four verse five, the way Micah writes, it's very carefully constructed. The the big difference is in the final you know, how long the walk is. Everyone walks in the name of some God, it's just how long the walk goes. Those who walk in the name of other gods, that walk doesn't last. Because any hope that is not connected to God's eternal promises, any hope you have for, for relationships or for jobs or for any, if it's not connected to God's eternal promises, they're destined to die. And so they miss out. It's a warning the New Testament gives us in Hebrews 4 that That while the promise of entering God's eternal rest still stands, some will miss out because of their hard hearts. And the tragedy is not just the wrath they face, but the blessing they forsake. And it may be that you're here this morning and the Lord is not your God, and you aren't devoted to Him, and you don't trust Him, and you don't serve Him. Don't squander a great future. C.S. Lewis put it, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know, if you've got that unsatisfied, niggling desire there, today is the day to consider whose name you walk in. You know, today is the day to to listen to Jesus' invitation, come follow me, just like James and John and, and Andrew and Simon Peter did. You know, begin that new walk you know, for knowing the great future God has installed the wise walk in the name of the Lord here and now. You know, Micah's encouragement was just do just that because that walk goes on forever. He knows that in the future the only possible walk is to walk in the name of the true God. And so he wants to encourage people, live the future now. You know, even though, yes, destruction's around the corner, Assyria kind of looms menacingly, Babylon's coming down the track. No, no, even though the tide of popular opinion is against walking Know, and encourages to walk in the name of other gods. You know, hope in the real future makes all the difference. And so he uses this beautiful and powerful image of walking. You know, Walking says so much about someone, doesn't it? You know, no matter where you go, you take your walk with you. Uh, It it captures and characterises you. Your walk changes depending on your mood. Your walk, uh, you know, if if it's a pressing issue, you walk differently. You know, your walk captures your purpose and direction. To walk is about active participation, not just have things done to you. And and particularly when the Bible talks about your walk, it expresses the, the moral nature of your life. And we're encouraged walk in the Lord. Paul, uh, in, in Ephesians, takes that image to capture the, the normal walk of Christians, how Christians look, how we should walk if we actually walk in the name of the Lord. Uh, in Ephesians 2, he, he says how God has prepared good works for us to walk in. You know, those carrying Christ's name, we don't just avoid sin, we actively do good. That's what it is to walk in the name of the Lord. In Ephesians 4, uh, we are to walk worthy of the gospel we've been called to in all humility and patience, bearing with one another in love. That is, if we walk in, the, in Christ's name, we don't just do good deeds, but it's begrudging. and kind of go, oh, I've got to help that person again. No, 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 we do it other person centeredly. In Ephesians four seventeen, 17, we, no, we no longer walk as the Gentiles do in futility of thinking. That is, we don't walk unaware of God's plans. We actually fit in with them. We, we change our course and direction to go with where he's heading. You know, every action of ours is a, a conscious extension of our relationship with our Saviour and Maker. Uh, In 5.2, Ephesians 5.2, we walk in love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. In 5.8, we walk as children of the light. That is, we expose our dark deeds rather than try and hide and cover them up and protect them. Uh, In 5.15, we walk wisely, making the best use of the time. That is, prepared, knowing eternity is coming, knowing the great future God will bring about. Why do we walk that way? Because this is how we'll walk eternally. And to put it in Ryle's words, you know, if we do um, live doing good and selflessly and sacrificially, uh, aware of God, avoiding sin, if we, if we walk that way, if we walk in the name of the Lord, we actually taste in advance the many sweet, pleasant and unspeakable comforts of our future inheritance. You know, there are some days that will be harder to walk in the name of the Lord than others. What's going to keep you going? Well, remember that great future that God has underwritten, that great future that he has guaranteed us in Christ. Let's talk about it. And even more, let's make sure we walk in the name of the Lord our God, both now and forever. Let me pray. Now, Lord and Father, we, we thank you for the great future that you have laid up for us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that it is secure and attractive. We thank you that it is prosperous and peaceful. We thank you that we will know you and no longer know pain or grief. Father, we long for that day, but we ask that you would help us uh, think often of it. And even more, we ask that even now we'll be walking in your name, preparing for eternity when uh, we will delight in your presence. Father, fill us with joy in, what, in the future that you have prepared.